one year coffee will, will be terrible for you and next year coffee will be you know great health benefits the for savior. you yeah, yeah right yeah. exactly so we have to stop that and using genomics and all the associated uh, technologies will be the the answer to that question that we have nowadays and again it will go beyond what is good and bad and entering what is good for whom right or what is bad for whom so that's the that's the goal welcome to the illumina genomics podcast where leading scientists discuss their genomics research and how genomics is shaping their understanding of science and nature here's your host paul broman Well, hello, and thanks for joining me today for episode 60 of the Genomics Podcast. I am your host, Paul Broman, and I'm also Scientific Affairs Lead at Illumina. According to the most recent data from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, up to 40% of adults in the United States are obese. That is a problem, because obesity is linked to some of the leading causes of premature death including conditions like heart disease and diabetes. And it's also estimated to cost the U.S. healthcare system about $147 billion every year. Now, we all know that diet and exercise play critical roles in obesity and in our general health. But what is the best diet? And is that diet the best diet for everyone? Well, nutritional genomics, or nutrigenomics is the study of how food can affect our genes and how our genes can affect our nutrition. It aims to identify the right foods for the right person at the right time. To talk about nutrigenomics and the role of genetics in human nutrition, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Jose Ordovas to the show. Jose is Professor of Nutrition and Genetics at Tufts University. And he's also director of the Nutrition and Genomics Laboratory at the Jean Meyer USDA Human Nutrition Research Center on Aging. Listen to Jose explain how our genomes impact on our nutrition and health. Dr. Jose Ordovas, I want to welcome you today to the Genomics Podcast. So can you start out our podcast by introducing yourself and telling our listeners a little bit about how you got involved in genomics? I will go back in history. And during many years, I was doing my annual pilgrimage to the scientific sessions of the American Heart Association. And it was precisely to my first one in 1993 when I was there sitting soaking in knowledge, and I was listening to a guy, his name was Sotiris Karathanasis, he was that year the recipient of the Irving Page Award, and he started to talk about DNA, RFLPs, which many people don't know about RFLPs (laughs) nowadays, they have knowledge about the more recent version, SNPs, right? Yeah. Inversions and so on, and that was kind of foreign terms for me and for many people in the audience to tell you the truth. But despite the fact that I didn't understand most of what he said, I had that gut feeling that that could become something important in the future. So once he finished the talk, I approached to him, and uh, I said, well, would you mind to open the doors of your lab uh, 
and uh, teach me all this alchemy that you were <laughs> Uh, you were telling us, yeah, and he said, "Oh, yeah, come by, come by any time." Well, he was uh, at Children's here in Boston, and it was just a few stops away from here, so it was not a major deal. So that's how I started in genetics. So, from the name nutrigenomics, I'm going to take a guess at what it involves, and I'm thinking it involves how food can impact on our genes, on our genetics, and and then inversely how our genetics can impact on, on our nutrition. How did I do? Is that, that about right? Oh, yeah. We can, we can <laughs> stop here. <laughs> yeah, we're done, right? Yeah, we're done. But what, if you can explain a little bit about nutrigenomics, you know, kind of what is it, put it in some context, and, and why you think it's, it's so important today. Well, let me go back to 1983. I was doing my day shift here at the HNRC and my night shift to the, in the children's, right? And one of the things that was uh, puzzling is how you had people uh, here at the Metabolic Research Unit being fed the same diet, and every one of them just responded differently, right? Interesting. So, on the other hand, when I was at Children, and I was, we were doing their genotyping and then relating those genotypes to phenotypes, Okay, you will expect that if you have certain genotype, people will have, let's say, higher cholesterol. And the ones that don't, they will not have high cholesterol. No, obviously that was not the case. Right. So, well, variability here, variability there. So it's one of these eureka moments. Okay, well, maybe the variability that we see in nutrition is due to genetics. And the variability that we see in genetics is due to nutrition or environment, right? Right. And uh, that was when I started just to put those things together. The rest is history. And nutrigenomics, so, I mean, we've done a few podcasts on microbiome, for example, and that Mm -hmm. there's there's genetic component there that I would imagine has some impact. But what you're primarily interested in, if if I understand, is genetic impact within our genomes, right? That's how we, we started, because we didn't know the microbiome. Right, at that time. Right, at that time. So, the idea of nutritional genomics is, uh, well, it's two things here. One, the fact that our genetic variability, the hypothesis was that the genetic variability was going to impact on the response to foods, right? But the other thing that is part of the that complex of nutritional genomics is to understand how the foods that we eat impact the metabolism of our cells. So it goes both ways. Right. Whereas it's true that we started looking at the human genome when the microbiome tsunami came to the field. It just uh, realized that we have to integrate that as part of nutritional genomics. So it's not only our genome, but also the genomes of our... It's uh, what we, we call it our second genome. Our second genome, yeah. Yeah. Which, as we know, is uh, in terms of genes, is bigger than our own genome. Yeah. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about the Institute here. Can you tell us a little bit about how it got started? Mm -hmm. You know, what the mandate of the remit of the Institute is? What are you you trying to accomplish? And uh, talk a little bit about its history. Of course. The seed was planted back in 1969. Wow, that's quite a long time ago. And that was during the first, (laughs) to my knowledge, the last (laughs) White House Conference on Nutrition. It was a time in which uh, the link between nutrition and health was being really solidified. 
it was a time in which, surprise, surprise, the nutritional status of uh, in the U.S. was not as rosy as some people thought. So it was necessary to understand what was going on. So that was the purpose of that first uh, White House conference. And then in 1982, the building was completed. And I was lucky you know, to be part of the initial team of investigators that uh, were part of, the, of this place from the very beginning. Our goal, as you ask for it, is in our name. The world is aging. We are uh, growing to an uh, older world in, from many different perspectives. And we have to identify the specific needs of the uh, that increasing segment of the population. Can you talk a little bit about you know, the types of genomics technologies that you're using in the lab? I mean, I, I know you were talking a little bit about genotyping, so I imagine you're using arrays. So what kinds of scientific questions are you addressing with those genomics technologies? Well, as you say, we use arrays, we use sequencing, we use the typical omics. The idea is to have the best possible quality, the highest throughput, and obviously economy also counts. So that's what we do, primarily genomics, epigenomics, transcriptomics, metabolomics, proteomics. Wow. And obviously when it comes to the use of the data, we use them all. And then what we do, because that's what we can do better than others, is to integrate that exposome, especially when it comes to nutrition. The goal of all this is to understand what is the best diet for us. Because so far, people have been searching what is the best diet for humanity. And there is no such thing. Right. And, you know, uh, low fat or whatever, right? Yeah. Or different combinations. No, I mean, probably all of them are right, but you have to identify for whom. So you're talking about precision nutrition. Precision nutrition. Wow. Yeah, precisely. So that's, that's the goal. And when we talk about precision nutrition... We go beyond telling people what to eat, but also when to eat, because it comes the component of chrononutrition. For example, some of our studies clearly demonstrate that people can be eating the same thing, but depending on when they eat, earlier or later, the effects on our metabolism, the effects on obesity are totally different. Wow. So... You may say, well, let's put in the dietary guidelines that people have to eat before noon, right? Uh, and that's it. Well, we go back to the same problem. You cannot give global or carte blanche recommendations because that will also depend on our genome. Some people, they can eat whenever they want, and some people, they will really be affected by the time of their meals. So that's the kind of precision that we are talking about. It's, it's almost like having a black box warning for <laughs> for food that you get at the grocery store. Like if, <laughs> if you have this biomarker, you know, don't don't take this. What? That's the future. Wow. That's the future, exactly. So can you give us an example of some of the kinds of projects that you know, you're currently involved in right now? Well, let's summarize into two different aspects. One is the big data population level, meaning that we collect genomic information and uh, dietary information in thousands, hundreds of thousands of individuals, 
and we use this fancy artificial intelligence, machine learning, and all this kind of uh, uh, jargon that we use nowadays in order to come out with the right combination for the right, for the genome, right, in terms of the habitual diet. But let's keep in mind that these kind of studies, they are informative. We have been using epidemiology for decades and genetic epidemiology for less time, but also quite heavily. But still, it's observational. So you have to support that with a higher level of evidence, meaning randomized clinical trials. And by that, what I mean is, okay, we have identified some genotype or some uh, a combination of genotypes for whom, let's say, a low-fat diet is good. In another one that is, uh, let's say, these people will benefit of a high-fat diet, let's say, Mediterranean diet, a lot of olive oil and so on. So now we are going to take these people and we are going to give them their, their food for weeks uh, and we are going to cross over. We are going to give the right, the, to one genotype, the right and the wrong diet ah, and vice versa. And then at the end of the trial, we are going to see if really that high level of evidence, scientific evidence, prove that gene-diet interaction. And then we can say with the same type of confidence that pharma uses nowadays when they start selling a product, right, because they have tested that this concept of personalized or precision nutrition really works because we have tested. I think no surprise to you, obviously, you've talked about how all this started in 1993, but since then, there have been, you know, some really remarkable advances in the technology, particularly in the NGS technology. So I'm wondering, how have those developments, particularly in the throughput, for example, how have those impacted the type of scientific questions that you're able to address in your lab? Well, it has been essential, obviously. When you think about the initial techniques that we were using, the southern blotting, right? Yeah. To what we have available now. Oh, it's just amazing. Obviously, there were a really very important points in this evolution. Really, what uh, made the big change is it was the microarrays. Because that has been the workhorse of uh, genetics in general and particularly of nutritional genomics. So before, we have a huge bucket of knowledge to fill and we were there with a dropper. One gene. Right. One variant. So it will take geological time <laughs> to fill the bucket at that rate. And then it came the the microarrays and suddenly we could just we, we, we didn't have enough time to the, that faucet open we just have to keep then it's all about feeding the machine at that I mean, point yeah, huh? I mean changing the bucket because <laughs> they were filled so fast you know that you have to keep changing the bucket so that that has been and then when it comes to next generation sequencing right it's just several orders of magnitude bigger than that. And then is when we have just keep talking about big data. Yeah. I can imagine that for particular disorders that we, we suffer like diabetes or, or metabolic disorders, I can understand that genetics and nutrition can really impact the development of those diseases and, and how individuals respond. You know, what are some of the impacts of nutrigenomics on human health and diseases that maybe people are not thinking about? Well, 
first your imagination is correct and second the impact obviously we see nutrigenomics in action every day we see people that are eating according to the best guidelines right and they drop dead or you see that despite their good intentions they have diabetes or obesity so there we have that interaction these people despite the fact that they think they are eating well they are not eating properly for their genomes and on the other hand we have the other side of the coin we have people that say oh, come on how are you eating that you know and still <laughs> they are perfectly Lived healthy, plus, yeah, yeah. healthy and happy so that is an additional proof of concept that we have we have something in our hands that we have to uncover right so the work that you're doing do you think that uh, you know ultimately can you envision some of this knowledge getting fed back into the guidelines for nutrition that come out of the government we don't know if that will happen for the next set of guidelines or for the next one but precisely the idea this concept has been discussed many times during those uh, five years of updates right? right however i think rightly so people have in those committees have considered that is not ready for prime time right and we should wait until precisely the results of these clinical trials that i was mentioning before to really come out with a specific dietary guidelines for the individual but so usda is at least open to that they're thinking about down the road that this might be a component of their well, of their decision making process we are, we are process. part of the usda so yes <laughs> <laughs> they are on board definitely okay. yes okay that's great what are some of some of the biggest challenges or you know bottlenecks that you face in your work and what are you currently doing to overcome those challenges on one hand we have technology that is quite precise and objective so in this chain of the nutritional genomics we have this very solid piece right a link and then on the other hand we have the nutrition okay how we collect nutritional information somebody sits in front of you and as you for let's say one hour how many times did you <laughs> eat did you eat tomatoes within the last 12 months not very rigorous <laughs> so that's the weakest link uh, the fact that we only have subjective information about what people are eating that is our challenge and that's why we also go into the root of the clinical trials and feeding the people not just telling people eat this and come back uh, in one week no we give them the food we make sure that they eat what we provide them and then that is objective what do you think the biggest impact of genomics is going to be in understanding you know this this link between our genetics and our, our nutrition what excites you about the future in this field and the future of genomics first we will understand nutrition much better because now we mentioned already everything is so subjective subjective from the point of view of the investigator subjective from the point of view of the population right that will be able to understand nutrition and health much more solidly also will go in terms of nutrition will go beyond proteins carbohydrates fats vitamins minerals and will be able to understand much better all these 
tens of thousands of compounds that we put in our mouths. Some of them beneficial, some of them not so much, right? Yeah. Especially when it comes to all this processing that uh, food is having nowadays, right? Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of industrial processing. So we'll be able to understand that. And because we know how food components interact with ourselves, we'll be able to point the fingers in the right direction. Because until now, one of the problems of nutrition research is that the weather vane was pointing the finger in one direction or another according to the prevailing winds. Right. Eggs, don't touch them. No, okay, you can eat them. This is, I think, something that people, sort of lay people, consumers find really frustrating. Yeah. So, you know, one year coffee will, will be terrible for you, and next year coffee will be, you know, great health benefits the for savior. you. The savior. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. So we have to stop that and using genomics and all the associated uh, technologies will be the, the answer to that question that we have nowadays. And again, it will go beyond what is good and bad and entering what is good for whom, right? Or what is bad for whom. So that's the, that's the goal. And we have to bring on board of the, of the many stakeholders that we have. I mean, we have the health professionals, and the respective societies, of course, because uh, uh, they have to be brought on board. Government agencies, you mentioned the USDA. Right. The food industry is essential uh, because, after all, they are the ones that are providing That's right. uh, yeah. everybody with uh, those foods. And, of course, we need to make sure that the individual is using this knowledge properly. So what can be more exciting that... Uh, thinking that you can improve the lives of these and future generations. What's more important than that, right? Exactly. Jose, I want to thank you for joining us and, you know, discussing this topic with us. I, I think it's really fascinating, and I, I'm super excited to learn about your vision for the future, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that in 10 years people will be able to tell me whether that coffee is actually good for me or not. Not that it matters. I'm still going to drink it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful uh, to sit down and talk with you. And thanks for joining us on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. Well, I am really grateful to you for making me part of uh, this podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thanks. Hey, if you like today's show, please subscribe to our podcast wherever podcasts are found. You can also listen to our show on your favorite smart speaker. Just ask to play the Illumina podcast. Join me next time when I'll be talking with Dr. Christine Stanley, Chief Director of Clinical Genomics at Variantics in Framingham, Massachusetts. We'll be discussing clinical whole genome sequencing and diagnostics for rare disorders. Right here on the Illumina Genomics Podcast. <laughs>